There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast, episode eight. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode. And I'm very excited. We have our second guest since the podcast has started up. And uh, this guy, I I was so excited to talk to him. Uh, You know, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a buddy about drive-through records releases. And we were talking about our top five favorites. And uh, one of them that popped up in my head and I didn't even think about it beforehand. I mean, I've always loved the record, but it's just one of those things where, including for drive through records, like if you ask me my top five favorite releases, it's going to change all the time because it's just so hard. But uh, I was thinking about my favorites in Hidden and Plain Views, Life and Dreaming, one of my all-time favorites. I mean, in my top five, and probably consistently too, that might be one that wouldn't change much. Like Even though some of them would change, that's one that I could probably like confidently say, no, that's always in my top five. And, you know, after we were talking about it, I started thinking about it. I'm like, wow, that record turns 15 this year. So uh, I hit up frontman Joe Rio of Hidden in Plain View, saw if he wanted to uh, talk about 15 years of life and dreaming. And uh, thankfully he did. And I was very, very excited. And I mean, what, what came out was amazing. I love getting in. Like my favorite thing about doing this is being able to interview people that I love and the music that I love. And really just, I like to dissect and hear everything about it. You know, I like to hear how an album was recorded. I like to hear how long it took, you know, some of the gear they used. You know, was it a, was it a stressful recording session? You know, like, what was it like? Music's one of those interesting things because, you know, people, the thing with music is there's people out there who can make millions and millions of dollars at it. And there's other people who will do it for decades just for the fun of it as a hobby. You know, it's one of those things. You always get a different story, and it's the same with studios. You know, like our last our last uh, guest, Stephen uh, Bradley or Steve Kravick. You know, he. Uh, I mean, being a producer and an engineer for all these years, you know, like he was talking about Blink One Eighty Two recording uh, Cheshire Cat and him being the engineer and then working on like seventeen songs in I believe it was a weekend. So it's like you know, you you get things like that where you go, you know, a band has a shoestring budget. It's stressful. They really, you know, they're they're trying to put out too many songs with not enough time. And there's other ones, you know, there's other bands, even Blink One Eighty Two, where like you look at like their self titled record. Uh, you know, like that one, I think took over a year to record who knows what the budget was for it. You know, like something like that, where they had time to record, they had like a whole house they recorded in. Like there's a whole thing about it where it's like, you know, I think they had a massive budget for that. So you just never know. So I'm always interested to hear how an album kind of came about. And normally it's, you know, within stories about like, you know, what happened in the studio. So I always love doing that, you know, so this was really fun to get into it, really dissect the album, how it was written. And, you know, I mean, the beginnings of Hidden in Plain View, what they're up to next, which I got to say, I mean, if you're a, if you're a fan, which I assume you are, if you're listening to this right now, really, really good news. I think you're going to be very excited when you listen to this. But, uh, you know, also if you're a fan, I'm, I'm sure this goes without saying, I mean, Life and Dreaming, I think is most people's favorite Hidden in Plain View release. There's just something about it. That record, you know, I feel like we kind of touched on it in this interview, but at the same time, it's just hard. You know, it's like there's certain things that make a record so magic that it's like, I don't really think you can place your finger on what it is. You know, we, we, we try to talk about it a little on here, but, you know, I think a great record is a great record. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff you can credit to certain things and there's others where it's like, you know, just kind of time and place and it's what came out and, you know, what came out happened to be really good. And, you know, that's kind of the 
that's kind of what happened, I would say, with Life and Dreaming. Just an amazing record, very special record. And uh, it's funny, I, I didn't, I did mention that I saw Hidden in Plain View at Skate and Surf, but I forgot to tell Joe, it's kind of funny. I actually skipped my college graduation to go see Hidden in Plain View in New Jersey. I, uh, I skipped my uh, community college graduation, I guess to be fair. I did graduate again like two years later and went to that one. But uh, for my first graduation, I blew it off because Midtown was reuniting and Hidden in Plain View was playing uh, Skate and Surf. And at that point, I think Hidden in Plain View maybe played like, I don't know, a handful of shows. Like the year before, they put Life and Dreaming out on vinyl for the first time. And then after that, they got a little more active and were playing playing some one-off shows and stuff. So, I mean, I caught them like one of their first shows back in 2014 when they did Skate and Surf. And uh, I mean, just absolutely amazing. They were they they stole the show. I mean, them in Midtown, well worth uh, skipping my graduation for. I'll tell you that if you're ever wondering, you go Anthony. You know, is it worth? Should I skip my graduation to go see Midtown and Hidden in Plain View? I'm going to tell you yes. I'm going to say that's a good idea, and I fully back it. So uh, the next time the next time Skate and Surf gets revived and Hidden in Plain View and Midtown play that, I, I would say skip your graduation or uh, whatever else. You need to skip because it's well worth seeing them. But I, I don't know. I thought that was funny driving eight hours to uh, go see them in Asbury Park. And it was well worth it. That was a great, great weekend. And, you know, it, it's funny because I also talked to him about it. You know, I didn't hear Life and Dreaming, even though it came out in 2005. Uh, I didn't jump on board until 2012 was when I first heard it. So, you know, it was like years later, but it's funny, you know, on a record like that, because I feel like a lot of people listening to this, maybe you heard it when it first came out. And it's like, I get just as nostalgic, but it's like five years later, you know, five or 10 years later where you start going like, oh yeah, I, you know, like I was in college and this album did this and that, but it's like, instead of it, you know, doing it for me in like 2005, you know, it did it for me in 2012. But I also think that that's, that also is a testament to really good music. You know, I think drive through records as a whole, cause I did that with so many bands. There's so many bands now they're celebrating records that came out 15 or 20 years ago where I discovered them in like 2011, 2012 when I was in college, you know, and I was like 18 or 19, but, you know, just like the people originally discovered them were, but, you know, five, 10 years later. And, you know, I, I think that attributes to just timeless music, just really, really good music. And also that's one of the good things about the Internet, you know, that you can that you can go back and discover these great things later on. And, you know, my hope, I mean, if you're listening to this, hopefully you're a Hidden in Plain View fan. But my other hope, you know, the other side of that is hopefully you don't know who the hell Hidden in Plain View are. You listen to this interview, you get really stoked on it and you like the songs I play. And, uh, you know, you you've been converted into a Hidden in Plain View fan. And you just found new music that's new to you that, you know, is 15 years old. So, I mean, that's also that's also something that's really gratifying to me. So hopefully hopefully we have both, you know, either way, no matter if you're new to the band, you've been listening for 15 years. I hope you enjoy my interview with Joe Rio as much as I enjoyed doing it. So here's my interview with him talking 15 years of life and dreaming right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, we are talking to Hidden in Plain View frontman Joe Rio. And the band released their fan favorite record, Life and Dreaming, 15 years ago in uh, February of 2005 on Drive Through Records. To this day, one of my favorite Drive Through releases. And uh, to you know, really celebrate the anniversary, we're going to talk all about that landmark record with Joe. So, uh, Joe, how how are you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. No, I'm very stoked on this. Like I said, I mean, one of my favorite Drive Through releases. I mean, ever. Just a really great record. Crazy to believe it's 15 years old now. And, I mean, when you guys put it out, I know it was the band's first full length, but at that point you did have a few EPs out. So, I mean, how far into the band were you guys when you started writing the full length? Like, how many years had you been a band at that point? 
That's a great question. Um, so I guess we really, we really kind of formed the band in 2000. Um, and you know, right, right from there, let me think we, we were writing songs, but, uh, it was, it was really DIY. I mean, we, we were a couple of friends besides Bob and I who had known each other from high school. We were a couple of friends just from around the North Jersey, you know, punk scene and pop punk scene. Um, a lot of just going from going to a lot of local shows and we just started writing songs and playing shows right away. Um, trying to just, just trying to get better and have fun. We put out, so, you know, it's funny cause life and dreaming has some songs on it that we re, that we wrote within the first year or two of even just existing. So like oh, really? life and yeah, life and dreaming. Um, I mean, it's just was like a culmination of songs ever since, 2001 2002 like american classic that song is one of the first songs we ever we ever wrote that was on one of our early eps that we like funded ourselves and recorded um i don't know geez what year that was but or quite early on we were we were pretty green back then (laughs) (laughs) you know so when it came to when it came to a life and dreaming i mean you guys obviously put that out on drive through records how did that signing end up happening? How'd you guys end up hooking up with drive through? Yeah. And I mean, it, it all, it, it all kind of is the same story. Um, cause, because we were really involved in the, in the local scene in New Jersey, we were getting to know bands. A couple of the bands that we were getting to know was, um, well, a band called Sunday drive, which ended up becoming the starting line. Um, a band called the June spirit, which, had um ace from early november in it at first and when these kind of broke off to start the early november so we had kind of met richard and stephanie from drive-through just through like mutual friends of bands we were playing with i mean these bands like we had known um you know and including like buddy and census fail they were even closer to us they were from north jersey like we were um you know so we met Richard and Stephanie through all of them. And I mean, just kind of trading shows and Hey, you know, uh, we're on this show. We can get you guys on it. Do you guys have any shows in South Jersey? And yeah, we can get you on this show. And you know, that was just kind of how it worked back then. Um, and you just kind of knew who you knew. Right. So, I mean, if it wasn't Richard, if it wasn't those bands, it would have probably had just been maybe someone else from another label. Like, Oh, we know this person they're putting out our album. So we'll introduce you to them too. And that was kind of the way it was back then. It was it was pretty freaking cool, actually, when you think about it. You know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I've thought I've talked with other people before who were like in bands during that era. But you kind of bring up a good a good thing that like you forget how important it seems like the New Jersey scene was like in the early 2000s. Like how many of you guys were basically like the drive through records roster, like so many bands came from New Jersey or at least had members of, you know, those really early bands who went on and did like other things. And I often forget that, but I mean, it's, it's insane really. I mean, I feel like I wasn't around for that era. I mean, I I kind of missed all that. I found all you guys like, I mean, I'm 27 and you know, I, I kind of missed that era, but like when you look back, it really does seem like you had a very strong scene, like in, in New Jersey, like kind of like late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, did, did that kind of feel special the scene you had there? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely did. Um, you know, and I <laughs> I love it when people ask me about it because, you know, the people that were there for it know what I'm talking about. But, I mean, it wasn't just like the drive through bands were a big deal. 
but I mean, there were other bands too. Like, um, I mean, there was the saves the days and there was the Thursdays and, uh, like my chemical romance. And these were like bands that they were acquaintances of ours too. I mean, and if not acquaintances, guys like we looked up to, you know, like, Oh, they played bigger shows or better shows or, um, you know, they, they had friends that were putting on shows that we were just trying to like, you know, show up on their radar, you know, just like, Hey, notice us. We, we like them. We're trying to be like them (laughs) (laughs) or like, you know, we want to play shows with you guys too. Uh, it, yeah, New Jersey was, I mean, and the thing was like, I try to explain to people like, um, we would play a show on a Friday and there would be like, it would be, I don't know, in Wayne or in like Boundbrook or some, or some town. And then like, there would be another show in like Rutherford and, you know, and not too far away and you'd be competing with each other. And I mean, there, there was just always a show. There was always a place to go. There was always someone to go see every single weekend and if not and and plenty of them um coming through and i mean there were there were you know people that maybe weren't in bands that were just taking it upon themselves to to throw the shows to just rent the halls and the pa system and put eight bands on a bill and just say hey we're gonna have we're having a show and it's five bucks at the door so it was incredible time to just to learn and have just be young and have fun yeah, that. I and mean, so with life and so with life and dreaming, I mean, just I guess bringing it back, it was, you know, the songs that we were writing, they just we just wanted them to be better because we wanted to get on shows because we wanted to be noticed, we wanted to be seen. So we just kind of went back to practice and like just tried to write better songs, tried to write better songs, and so it all culminated into just about fifteen tracks that we went and and tracked for drive through, that became life and dreaming. I mean, if you heard the first version of 20 Below, you'd laugh. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, you'd laugh at it. And that song changed like two times. <laughs> you, you know, that's kind of cool then. I mean, would you would you then kind of credit, I mean, I, I, I think Life and Dreaming, just those songs are so strong and so solid. And that kind of makes sense because now like you're saying, like with American Classic, like you said, I mean, you wrote that so early on. You had all this time to, you know, basically kind of perfect it. I mean... I, I feel like I feel like that is part of like the strength of that record then, you know, like you guys got to kind of play with the songs, modify them, you know, I mean, I, I guess of all the songs, like maybe maybe what is there like a song that maybe like early on you wrote that maybe changed the most drastically once it made it to life and dreaming, you know, after you had a few years of kind of toying with it. Um, I definitely the two I already mentioned, I mean, like you can go back, you can go on Spotify um, we recorded an EP called Operation Cutthroat. I mean, I, I'm proud of it because of what we what we were doing at the time and with you know being as kind of inexperienced as we were at the time for how that came out. But I it it didn't age well, you know. But if you listen to the American classic that's on there, it's just so boppy and so like kind of. I don't know. I hate to hate to sound like I'm trashing our own song, but it was like it just was a little cheesy. And you know, it's funny when you say like we we were crafting it. Like I can remember being at practice and, and just Rob would have been like, "Let's just try this open chord instead of you know chugging or wh- whatever it was." And it was like it opened up the song. And you know, American Classic um, is still to this day one of my favorite songs on that album. I just love it. Um, and it's funny because it is like 20 years old, but, um, 
I mean, it is. It was birthed like 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, 20 Below is definitely one of them. But then there were some new songs. Like when we flew out to California to record Life and Dreaming, um, we had some songs that were just kind of like in the work of progress. And we ended up writing it the week before we tracked um, in pre-production with Jim Wirt. And one of them was Garden Statement. Really? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. That song came together at the very, very end. Like, and it just, it, we just knew it was like, when it did come together, we knew it was awesome. But, um, yeah. That one surprises I mean, me just because like, like, because I feel like there's so many elements to that song. That's one that I would feel like would have been one that like, oh yeah, you know, we worked on that. It's, it's really funny. Cause that's one where I would think that would, that was one that you toyed with for a few years. I just feel like there's different elements to it. And like, there's just, I mean, sonically, just it goes all those different places and the bridge and everything. That that's really that that's really neat to me that it kind of came together that song, you know, just like that for you. That's really cool. Well, I mean, like, so because we recorded those EPs so much, I mean, like those those EPs were great for for teaching us how to how to be in a studio and and track songs in the studio. Um, we learned a lot from those, and taking that, you know to fly across the country with a producer like Jim work, who to this day, I just adore the man. Um, he was such a, a great guy to work with and so laid back, but also so kind of like uh, just professional when he was knew what he was talking about. Um, but we were so pumped up for the experience that um, there was just like, it took us to a different level. So so if you can imagine like just a bunch of young guys who all you know just so pumped up to be doing what they're doing at the time like we we did want to like continue to be creative and we were just in that zone so when we we're in a, we we booked this like uh the first week was like practice space in um in in, in Santa Monica it was a little further out but um and just we would sit with Jim for all day long and just practice our songs and play our songs and he would he would just listen and be like, Yeah, that that sounds good. Let's let's play that let's play that verse twice. So let's play that the chorus one more time. And, you know, we kind of went through all the other songs so quick that it was like we had some time and um totally, totally wrote Garden Statement in that little practice space studio, like right across the street from a seven eleven. I'll never forget. That's amazing. That that's probably yeah. that's probably my favorite song of your guys. That that or American classic. But that's that really does blow my mind just because of because of them. There's just something about that song that I wouldn't think that one came together as quickly. So I mean that's really cool. And you know, kind of going back, so you guys signed to drive through. You put out Life and Dreaming, but before that, you did put out that uh, self titled EP. I mean, like. Mm-hmm. How soon after you put out that EP was it like all right time to put out a full length? Like, did you guys kind of just tore off that for a while or is it basically kind of like all right ep's out time to do a full length um it it really was kind of quick um i can't remember exactly why i mean we we did that that ep pretty quick we did that at portrait studios in new jersey in fact spencer wasn't even spencer wasn't even in the band when we recorded that yet so the drums on that record aren't spencer oh really um yeah and you can hear it if you go back and listen to it like that they just don't rip nearly as hard as Spencer's drums can rip. Uh, he is a good drummer. And, yeah, <laughs> he is. He's pro- he's probably, and I say this humbly, but the best drummer I've ever seen, um, let alone had 
to be in a band with. Um, I love that guy. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I mean, like, we, we did, we recorded that, and we went right on tour, and then never kind of stopped touring. Um, and so when it came time to, to doing the full length, we like we had songs already. We were basically already in the position to go record a full length, but for some reason or another, drive through kind of pushed it back. And then we missed a deadline for, uh, for one thing or another. And then we had the whole, then we had the whole life and dreaming tracked and it was supposed to come out in 2004 and like November of 2004. And they decided just like, let's push it back to no, to February. In fact, we're going to put it back. We're going to put it out on 222, and, and we're like, okay, um, that stinks. And it was, it, it kind of stunk because like, even though it was only November to February, like those extra couple of months, um, we really wanted it. I remember us really wanting it out before we went on the 2004 warp tour. We were, we went on that 2004 warp tour and basically played life and dreaming live and nobody had it yet or even knew it was coming out. Yeah. I would think they would want that too. As far as the label goes, I would think you'd want the full length out for warp tour. I mean, that, that seems like prime time, you know, to like promote something like that. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember exactly why. I mean, it was a busy time. It was a busy time for drive through. If you could think back to 2004 and the releases that they had then. Oh, that's like peak um, drive. I mean, that's you're basically like in the middle of their, like, I feel like they're like heyday there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was ridiculous. So, I mean, I don't know if it was internal on their part. Um, I don't know if it was something we dropped the ball on. Cause you know, you know, somebody calls up says, Hey, you know, guys we need this and guys and bands are guys and bands uh okay yeah we'll get to that and then um you know it's like friday and it's five days have passed and you finally get back to that thing it's just guys and bands dudes and bands are just slow um if you say i'll get it to you tomorrow tomorrow in their brain is like friday so <laughs> or <laughs> so you i don't know if it was our fault or a combination of what but yeah, things did get pushed back, but we we were ready for that EP. I mean, hindsight, it it didn't matter. Um, the only thing I think that kind of stunk was that we just poured on that EP for a long time, and um, and Life and Dreaming was just it was it was packed full of songs that would have been great to get out. I think like half a year, six months earlier. And in I my mean, opinion, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little already. But I mean, for Life and Dreaming, was that like really the first time you guys like worked with like a producer and I assume had like a nice amount of like studio time, you know, like, like not not like rushing so much and everything. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like the EP, um, I mean, we we would take passes on certain things on the EP and just like, yeah, that works. Keep it, you know, let's move on, especially like the drums or some of the some of the guitars. So, no, the. uh, Life and Dreaming was like that was the way records are made. As a, in a matter of fact, like I can remember the first time we got to Fourth Street Recording Studios, um, Jim was so proud of that studio. It was so tiny, it's such a small place, but it was right on Fourth Street. If you've ever been to Santa Monica, California, there's the Promenade on Third Street, and right behind it's Fourth Street, and that's where the studio is located. And the board, he was talking about just how the board that was used in that studio was used on pet sounds, uh, the beach boys pet sounds. Oh, nice. So like the first thing we did was, um, was put on pet sounds and listen to pet sounds through in, in the control room. And I was like, okay, this is fun. 
I'm in Santa Monica and we're geeking out and we're listening and we're talking about music. And, and then he let us put on like, uh, like an album, you know, if you guys wanted it to sound like one album, which one, what would you, what would you want it to sound like? And that's my best gym impression. But, <laughs> uh, so and I remember like opening up my, but my big book of like 500 CDs and we pulled out like the color and the shape. We're like, Oh, let's put this one on, you know? Like, so we put on Foo Fighters, like we wanted to sound big and chunky and huge like that. All right, far out. All right, it's cool. It's cool. And then, so, I mean, for a bunch of young guys, sign on drive-through records, it was already quite big for us. And to be there, it was really surreal, really cool. But no, it was definitely the way a record should be made. Um, definitely, in my opinion. You know, it, it's funny that you bring up the Foo Fighters because I've always American classic to me has always hit me like there was like this Foo Fighters influence to it, which now I'm assuming they're kind of it, you know, like they were at least some kind of influence on that record. Because that song, for some reason, always kind of reminded me in some way of like kind of a Foo Fighters song for whatever reason. So it's funny you bring them up. But um, yeah, we we were we were definitely influenced by them. Um, definitely. So, I mean, especially oh, that album. That's a great record, too. I'd say it's probably yeah. like my favorite Foo Fighters record. You know, so overall for the recording of Life and Dreaming then, was that pretty laid back then, like a pretty nice, easy process? I mean, it sounds like you went in and it's like you kind of musically had songs written and everything. It doesn't sound like you were like rushing to get everything done and whatnot. It sounds like it was kind of nice and probably fair. I mean, as laid back as recording an album can be, I should say. Yeah, I mean, we had deadlines. And I remember at the end, um, we were kind of we kind of missed some. So, like, for example... There were just there were just moments where it was like, it makes sense to do this. Oh, but we're falling behind now. We're only allowed, you know. Jim was Jim was not only hired to produce, but he was hired to mix Life and Dreaming, and uh, and we allowed ourselves like I think six or seven days at first to like to mix the whole thing. Now that's not a lot of time when you're talking that many tracks. So we already knew we weren't allowing ourselves a lot of time to mix. And then uh, as we were going and we were like, uh, we wanted to add strings in on the innocent ones and we wanted, and Andrew McMahon was hanging around and um, Jim was doing his Jack's records at the time, Jack's mannequin records at the time. And uh, he's like, Hey, yo, Andrew, why don't you put some piano on this song? And, and so as we were doing and getting creative and doing stuff like that, we kind of, <laughs> kind of ran out of some time and then Jim only ended up having like four days to mix and he did a great job on it, but just to, you know, he didn't have enough time. And so that was another thing actually, now that I'm talking about it, it, that's one of the reasons why it did push back a little bit at first was because we had to get it remixed. Um, and we got it remixed in, in New York city. Rob and I went to New York city and just, um, with another guy, Josh Wilbur. And we had, we had it remixed. Which was great because Josh was did a fantastic freaking job on that mix. He did. So I mean, life. so I mean, like once once the record was out and you guys started touring, you know, who were some of the bands that you toured with during that era? Oh man, that's a blur. Because like, because <laughs> we were touring, like we, you know, the only thing we stopped to to- stopped touring to do was to like record Life and Dreaming. Um, we were always touring. So I can't remember where and what, but what did we do? So I think one tour we did uh, with Life and Dreaming Out was we did less than Jake and Alistair. That was a good 
that was a good tour. I'm pretty positive the Midtown and Matchbook Romance tour was with that. Um, we did an incredible tour with uh, Something Corporate, Straylight Run, The Academy Is. That was a really fun tour. And I'm, and I'm putting this all in around either after the album came out or um, or right before it dropped. The headlining tour we did on that album was uh, was a co-headliner, actually, with The Academy Is. And Over It was on it. Punchline was on it. Um, at different times, there were different bands that were on it, but it was, it was a really fun time. It's not- <laughs> Good Good friends and good bands. It was it was exciting. That those sound those are all very good, including punchline and over it. Those those are all some really good ones. Um, oh yeah. You know, for like recording on Life and Dreaming, did you guys end up with like any songs that didn't make it on the record? Uh, there's two B sides to that record. So, yeah, there are two. Only two though. Um, you just, there's just two B sides. That was it. Yep. Um, the only two that didn't make it on. Um, and one of them, it was even. Oh, crap it was even older than american classic when you think about when we first wrote it to <laughs> oh really um it was called to your grave and yeah and that one i thought it is a great song i mean those both songs that didn't make it on life and dreaming belonged on life and dreaming they're they're awesome i love them um but they're b-sides i don't know where you can even find them i think there was like a japanese release of life and dreaming that had them both on it I think there was a uh, a uh, oh, it was like a seven inch single for Ashes Ashes, and the and the, the other side had one of the B sides on it. But um, yeah. <laughs> so right. it, the one was called "To Your Grave," and the other one was called uh, "Hot and Sexy." Oh, not you know what? <laughs> now that I think of it, I, I have heard "Hot and Sexy." I have heard that is okay. a good song. I, I totally forgot that that was a B side for that record. It was. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I want to ask you, because I, I kind of feel like you guys were almost at, like, the tail end of it. But, you know, drive drive through did a lot of them. And, I mean, just all labels really did. But, you know, there was that era where compilations could, I feel like, do a lot for bands and, like, really expose them to, you know, different people. Like, do you feel like Hidden in Plain View got much exposures from, like, comps? Because, like, I feel like you guys were almost, like, on that, like, tail end of it. Where either you maybe, like, no. saw. No, not really. I don't think we, you know, I don't think we really benefited from the comps. No, and I know exactly what you're talking about because I had some, some of those comps were like I still go back to them these days. Like the drive-through ones for sure, but some of the vagrant comps, like yeah, life uh, on the streets. Yeah, man. Oh my god, that is one of the best. Or another year on the streets. Or yeah, another Both year on the streets. So good. Yeah. So good. That. Um, but no, I, I think we did. I think that they, there was one or two that was getting passed around on Warp Tour that I was really, really excited to be on. I mean, because I saw my, our name alongside, like, you know, Newfound Glories and Finches and something corporate. And that was exciting for me. Like, um, But there was one that we didn't make it on. And I remember being bitter about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember just, I remember really wanting to be on it. And uh and I don't know what it was if it was like our we were signed we were getting signed but we hadn't signed yet and it wasn't finalized and we missed the boat on it and I was bummed I remember that that that, that yeah because like I love comps comps, like, the, aren't they they're the best <laughs> yeah it's a good it's a good point 
That's it, a good question. I, I probably even discovered you. I mean, I, I, I found Hidden in Plain View probably like 2012, 2013, and off a of comp, I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I to this day, I tell people it's still a great way to discover old music, and it's sad that it doesn't. I kind of get, I, you know, like with the internet and everything, I kind of get the comps probably don't do what they once did, but it still bums me out that labels really don't release them like that because there really was an era where I really feel like that that could do something for a band. Yeah. Uh, no, and it, it's been what it's been replaced by is like, you know, the Pandora radio station. You can instead just put in your favorite band's name and get a million different suggestions of bands you've never heard or I mean, that's the way I think people get turned on to new music or even old music. Like something pops up that you never heard before. And now you have someone who's into like, uh, I don't know, um, Joy Division or like New like New Order. And they never even ever knew those bands were good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? No, no, I think you're absolutely right. I do. I do think and that's basically the replacement for like, you know, the compilation. Yeah. But, you know, like. What I wanted to ask, I, I think one of the strongest things about life and dreaming, and I would really just say hidden in plain view in general, is I feel like you guys really balance kind of genres and influences. Like I listen to life and dreaming, and I mean, there's parts of it where I think there's kind of a pop punk element, but I don't think I would call it a pop punk record. There's parts of it where I guess, you know, people might, people use terms like emo or screamo. And sure, I mean, there's like, there's parts of that, but I really don't feel like you can pinpoint like one genre on that record. And I mean, like, was that ever an intentional thing to kind of have a unique sound? Or is that, I mean, just a natural thing where it's like, that's just kind of how you guys sounded when you played together? I I think that's like one of the nicest compliments that we ever hear is when people tell us things like that. Um, No, because that's exactly what we were going for. Um, You know, we always saw ourselves um, in that scene because those were the shows we went to. Those were the bands we hung out with and listened to mostly, but... No, like I said earlier, we we liked bands like the Foo Fighters, and um, there were things we wanted to do, and we we knew we knew that it, that was gonna kind of hurt us, and I think it kind of did. I don't think it actually served our served as good of a purpose as we had hoped it would. We we were playing in a scene where people were at the time kids wanted to hear screamo, and kids wanted to hear, you know. Um, you know, songs like Census Fail were, you know, we're we're screaming about how horrible life is and death and blood and tearing your heart out. And, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but we, we did it, but we didn't all the way do it, you know? And, um, and then we would have a song like the innocent ones, which was very much just kind of like a ballad. Um, and that, that would grow and, and, to a climax and then break. And, and, you know, we, we always just tried to be very dynamic in, in the way we were listening to songs and writing songs and playing songs. We just wanted them to kind of take people on a trip and we never really wanted to sound like one thing. But then again, like we were influenced by bands like heavily at the time we were influenced by like at the drive-in, uh, the Refused. We were really influenced by Jimmy Eat World. We were really influenced by the Foo Fighters, the Beatles, like big band that you you know you'd hear um, in the van on a, on a road trip. Like, um, so huge compliment. Thank you for noticing that. I'm, I didn't necessarily think that at that kind of 
presented itself clearly to a lot of people. But to hear you say that really makes me happy. So thanks. No, and it, and it's funny you mentioned Jimmy Eat World because I, I was talking about the record to someone recently, and I was like. I think part of the things I like about life and dreaming is the same thing that I like about clarity is that same thing. I don't feel like you can pinpoint a genre on it. You can go, this song sounds like this, or this is kind of like this, but it's not a record that like, you know, leans into something too far. So, I mean, that, that's another one where I thought same with Foo Fighters. I'm like, okay, there has to be some Jimmy world then in, in there. So then that, that, that's cool to hear you were uh, influenced by them. So then, you know, your favorite song off Life and Dreaming, if you had to pick one, what would be your absolute favorite from that record? Oh, man. And, you know, it's hard because, like so, like you just said, you know, they're, they're different. So some songs give you, give you something completely different than others. Um, you know, maybe a better way to phrase it, how about live? Is there a song on there that's, like, most fun live, maybe gets, like, the best uh, reaction from the crowd? I mean, I think Garden Statement, I think you just have to take that completely out <laughs> equation. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's not fair. Um, <laughs> like that song, um, it's just from lyrically where it, where it was written. Um, lyrics were written by Rob, but both, um, you know, the, per, the, the, the influence behind the lyrics are, are completely felt by both he and I. Um, and I'm not going to tell you what the song was about because that that's for him to tell you. Um, but uh, I don't ever like to speak for his lyrics. So that meant a lot to me, just the meaning behind the song, then the intensity behind the song. And just like, again, where it get it goes from just kind of frantic to catchy to, you know, just like, you know, where that song takes a listener is uh, it's just very special to me. So I will take that one completely out of this question. And I would probably say Ashes, Ashes, Ashes. Ooh, that's very energetic. Or, uh, I could see that, a fun live one. Yeah, it never comes off to me uh, as that good live. But um, I just, I think it's probably because I'm just kind of shaking my head and, and going kind of nuts during that song. It's like, I don't <laughs> know how how clear my vocals are coming out when I'm uh, half out of breath and like <laughs> trying to reach for a big note. I don't know. Uh, so probably ashes, ashes, I would probably bleed for you. Um, 20 below is always really fun to play live. I really love to play that song live. Um, but I, I think if I had to say one, it would be the ashes, ashes. Nice. And yeah. I- for for everything that the band's released, I mean, do you feel like Life and Dreaming is like the best representation of Hidden in Plain View? Do you think like for what the band was going for, that was that was it? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Resolution was a completely different, like a different thing. Um, and there were moments on Resolution where we where we nailed it, and there are moments on Resolution that um, you know, everybody in the band will tell you that we just wish didn't happen. Really. Um, Oh yeah. Resolution is, um, it was a completely different time in the bands. I don't want, I don't want to make the interview about that, but it it was like, we were, we were spent. We had been on the road way too long. We got pushed back, pushed back to get, we were ready to get in the studio on that one for a long time and couldn't get in for reasons that weren't our fault. And then when we finally did, it was weird. Like life and dreaming had, this kind of special thing to it. You couldn't put your finger on it, but life and dreaming really just was special to us and, and to other people. 
Um, and there was a big pressure to top that. And I, and I know big, people in bands know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that sophomore album that, or even like the third or fourth album, there's just a, like a, an unwritten pressure there where people have to do something, try a little harder. And there were moments where we didn't know how to balance that. And we were all pulling influences from different places and they just, we just weren't agreeing on things. And like, um, so there were moments where we missed on resolution. Um, and there were moments where it hit, but I can tell you uh, that taught us a lot too. And then seven years later, when we went and started making, making music again, even though there wasn't a lot of it, we knew what not to do in that situation. And, and now you're the first person hearing this, but we, we have some new songs we're going to put out this year um, that if you ask me what songs are, are really kind of, doing what hidden and play what like the question you said um those these new ones nail it oh, these nice. new ones are i think yeah i think these new ones are some of the best things we've ever written and recorded um that's really i mean so, yeah. number one i mean new music i'm i'm extremely excited for so that's awesome news and that's interesting to hear because i felt like like another thing i wanted to mention like on that animal ep you guys put out which i was going to say a few years ago but i mean even at this point has been 2014 2015 2015 so yeah i mean five years ago what so there we go so we also have the fifth anniversary of the animal ep but the thing i was thinking about earlier today when i was getting ready for this is how well that ep sounds for a band who like you you said like seven years had not been together and i just felt like you got on there and it's like wow this is really it doesn't sound like a band like it doesn't sound like you guys tried to rewrite your old stuff it's not like you went in there like well let's rehash this it sounds like a fresh band and it sounds like you picked up like in a great place. So that's kind of interesting then. You kind of you would almost then I don't know if credits the word, but like almost a reason why Animal came out the way it did, I mean so well, is because you kind of learned something off resolution then. Kind of like what to uh, do and what not absolutely. to do. Absolutely. I think also, um so Rob, when you know, when the band when the band broke up, um you know, I, I, I got a job and went back to school. Everybody went and did their own thing. Um, Rob continued on writing and recording and building his own studio. Um, so he's been producing and recording crap for, I can't even tell you for how long now. And he's got a really, where we recorded an animal, his, was his old studio. And that was an amazing place where his new studio now, where we just recorded these last, this last EP, it's going to be an EP. It's not going to be a full length. Um, but where we just did this last EP, he's got the best setup there is. I mean, he knows how to use it. He's just a gifted dude. So, um, so that really helped. So for one, knowing what we wanted and how we wanted to do it. And then we had somebody, you know, with the resources and you know the ability to do it on in-house in the band it was it was quite easy actually um it was a unique kind of situation i think but uh we're, we're grateful for that that's awesome i mean i'm excited to hear new music and you know so, so does that mean do you feel like there's a lot less pressure on the band now like i mean you guys are what i like about you guys is you've been fairly active like throughout the years like you still you know you, you release an ep you guys play shows you do things from time to time like is it do you feel like now it's just kind of more fun than it used to be like i'm, I'm sure a lot of those pressures that you once had are gone 
they are. It, it's exactly what it is. I mean, I you know, and I have a family. Um, there's, I don't really ever see myself ever going full time, full time at this. Like I don't like some other bands are still doing, and God bless them. I don't, I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't be away from my kids that long. Um, I really like the job, I like my job. I really love my job. Um, so I don't, I don't know. And nowadays, like we really just enjoy getting together. Like uh, we, we just have fun. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why this new EP is going to. It's going to be reminiscent of Life and Dreaming. I don't know if, if sonically, it, in some parts of it sonically will be, but uh, I don't know if I'm speaking from a, from it sonically. I think that what will be reminiscent about this EP to Life and Dreaming is that it is just a culmination of songs that we wrote because we wanted to have fun and we wanted to make a better song. Like It just the, – the places where we were at in 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003 as we were writing songs that ended up on Life and Dreaming is exactly what happened here. One of these songs could have been on the Animal EP. It's that old. And then the rest of them are kind of just were written through the last couple of years. So um, – and then one of the songs was written right before we recorded it, similar to, you know, like the story I was telling you about Garden Statement. So I think – now everybody just really wants to have fun. And I mean, and, and to give you a little bit of an inside situation, like we have these songs and we don't even know how we're going to release them. So we're kind of in that situation. We're like, we're labelless. We don't have a label. It, do we, do we try to find a label? Is that the best thing for us? Do we just release it and let the people who know us and still follow us and love us enjoy it? Do we even really care how many followers quote unquote and listeners get, you know, Yes, I want as many people to hear this thing as possible, but like, am I going to let myself lose sleep and let it drive decisions? No, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want um, numbers to be what, you know, drives our decision making. We just want, we just want to put something out for people to like, maybe continue to play shows, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's better anyways. I think the pressure a lot of times that that ends up like hurting bands a lot. A lot of times that becomes a band's demise because of that pressure that you're talking about. It, it's, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's exactly kind of, right. it's, it's crazy too. Like though you, you have to think like, like now, I mean, if we look, if we look now versus 15 years ago and you were putting out life and dreaming, it's almost like, I don't know, it's good and it's bad, but like you're saying like, there's so many ways you can release music now. Like, you don't really need the label, but you can have a label. You could, you know what I mean? Like there's so many other approaches. Whereas before, you know, 15 years ago, it's kind of like you signed to a label, they put it out, you go tour and promote it. Now I feel like, I don't know, it's a lot more accessible, you know, which, which I mean, yeah. is very good. And to your listeners, if there's anyone out there who's got an idea for us and you want to reach out to us, like we're open, we know it's going to come out. Um, we know we could do it on our own. Um, I think that right now, like, we're just kind of bouncing ideas off each other to figure out what's the best way. Like, is it, what do we do our own marketing campaign campaign? Like, do we do like It's done. It's recorded. It's mastered. It's ready to go. Oh, nice. It's just like, what do we do with it? How do we, you know, um, maybe I'm being hundred percent too candid for us for, for, uh, but again, it, for us, it's just like, um, you know, when we play shows, and and there's people with their hands up throwing you know throwing their fists and singing words back at us that's ultimately who we want to hear this the most um and anybody else is just going to make us super happy and it's going to be considered a bonus you know 
That's that's awesome. I mean, no matter how it comes out, it's it's I'm sure I'm I'm just excited to hear it no matter how you guys end up releasing it. But I mean, besides so you got new music, so I mean that should be coming out sometime this year and that is absolutely awesome. You guys have any live plans um like planned right now or no? Um no. We are tossing around a couple of ideas. They were great ideas, but um we they were they were pretty they were like next month. And um, we just don't want to go out and right now and play a show until we have new music to play with it. It's been, well, you know, since 2015, we've been playing, I think, what's basically kind of the same set list. You know, it's like, yeah, it's very hot, life and dreaming heavy. And we put we play some of the animal songs and some resolution songs. And we want to give um, we want to give our fans and our listeners something more. You know, we don't want to go out and um kind of just like beat on the same beat on the same tunes you know what i mean we want we want to get excited about something new so we we turn that part down um and um and just kind of keep our eyes set on like probably either early summer late summer or um or fall that'll be when we play shows if we play shows but then again it's like you said you know um we only want to do it if it's fun uh, if it if it's going to be pressure, if it's um, if it's going to give us anxiety, we probably won't do it. Um, if it if it sets up to be something fun and something cool, then yeah, we'll, you can count us in. Um, but we don't have to, you know. We just don't have to. We love it. We have fun when we do it. Um, but we don't want to sacrifice, you know. And I, I don't know. I guess the situation for unless it's fun. No, I get, and I, I like that. I mean, I, I also like the way that you guys approach it because to me, that makes me want to go see, like any time that you play around me, that makes me want to go see you because there's a lot of bands who will get back together. And like you were saying, it's like they'll kind of do it and it's the same set list and stuff. But like you guys, you guys are like putting something else out there and you're kind of like you're being active. You're not just playing off a nostalgic thing. You know, I, I actually, I really respect that. And I like that as a fan instead of just going, well, screw it. We'll go out and play, you know, the, just what they want to hear. We'll go play a greatest hit set every single time. So I like yeah. that, you know, I like that you guys are still doing things and, you know, that it sounds like it's fun too, you know, kind of sounds like you're invigorated. So, I mean, uh, that, that's exciting, honestly. I think um, one of the things I love, I, you know, I do this, I think a lot of people probably do. We, we just played the, uh, the last show we played, just played, it was already last summer, but we played the, um, the Atlantic City Warp Tour, the the reunion, and it was a, such a great show. And I'm looking, I'm searching around social media, searching hashtags, just trying to to see what kind of cool photos came from the set. And like in every single photo, all of us are just like ear to ear, smiling. Like they're even in the serious moments of like a serious song like Bleed for You, you know, like which is deep. We got a lot a lot of meaningful lyrics in, and it's a heavy topic. But like, there's moments where we're just like having so much fun that like we're smiling ear to ear, and that was just like a reoccurring theme I saw on all the photos. And and I go back and look at all even photos from further back, and it's that's um, it's erased any of the stuff that happened maybe where we were like making bad choices earlier in our careers. You know, it's it's just made it such a better a better experience I think for us and for the people watching us. You can't help but get swept away when you see the band having a good time. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've seen you guys live once. I saw you at a skate and surf in 2014, and 
probably best set of the weekend, I would say, easily. I mean, it's kind of like you're talking about. You guys, part of it was you guys seemed to be enjoying yourselves, like, up there. It's like it seemed like you were into it, and everyone in the crowd was into it, too. You know, I mean, it's kind of, it's that mutual thing where I feel like you're both feeding off each other. And, I, I mean, as a as a audience member, I can tell you that people can tell that. You know what I mean? Like, watching it from up there, you can tell that you're enjoying it. And I, I think that's part of, I think, why you guys are good. I mean, you guys are solid live. But... You know, as as we close this out, you know, I've had so much fun talking. I mean, life in general, like I said, one of my favorite drive and not even just drive through. I mean, one of my favorite records. It's just such a great record. Crazy to believe it's 15 years old. But uh, I mean, looking into the future, I know me personally, and I'm sure anyone listening to this is uh, extremely stoked to hear that there's new music coming. And, you know, where can people find Hidden in Plain View online? Where can, uh, you know, people find you guys on there? Uh, I mean, I think... Facebook, Instagram, there are two most active socials if you're looking for just kind of updates and like simple content. Um, Twitter, I'm the one that runs the Twitter, so I'm not usually super active on there, but you know, and I check it. If anyone wants to reach out to me directly, you can go right to our Twitter. Um, HIPVNJ, I think, is, is the handle. But I mean, otherwise, um, I don't know, man. I don't, we don't. We're not really out there, you know. And that's another funny thing about our band. When we when we did break up, um, it was still the MySpace era. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 2000, early 2007, on the end of 2006. So nobody even had Facebook yet. The band never got a Facebook. Wow. We didn't start our Facebook until yeah. We didn't we didn't have any of that stuff until way after the fact. So anybody who's following us on those socials. Um, searched us after, you know, or, or came after after a recent show. So it wasn't like, so like it's crazy if you look at our followers compared to bands, you know, from our same same time period. It's like, what? Well, how how does Hidden in Plain View only have? Well, it's because like, we just missed around. the first <laughs> six years of of, of Facebook and, <laughs> and Instagram. Um, but yeah, no, I mean we're there, we're active. I mean, I, I think that what's cool about our where we are now is that you know we are you can reach us and if you it's like you reaching out to me um if you contact us on socials you're going to get one of the band members um in responding to you so um take that for whatever it's worth i think it's pretty cool i think it's very cool too i uh i've i've always loved talking to you guys everyone i've ever talked to in the band you're all very very rad so yeah anyone should uh reach out and hit them up and I mean, even anyone listening, whether you've been a fan and you've been listening to, you know, Life and Dream for 15 years, or maybe it's new to you, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure there's still people out there discovering you guys. I mean, really, even me, I heard Life and Dreaming seven years, I, 2012, however long ago that was. I can't do the math in that. my head, but like, you know, people are still discovering it so much later. So, you know, I, I, do, I do think that's the nice thing of the Internet. You know, that that is the one nice thing. While there are while there are setbacks, I think, for bands. I think that's one of the cool things. People can still uh, discover you this later on. But uh, right now we're going to play some songs off Life and Dreaming, and we're going to kick it off right now with one of my favorites off the record. We've been talking about it quite a bit today, and uh, it is an American classic opening up this block of music on the Power Chord Hour.
This is Stephen Bradley, and you're listening to the Power Chord Hour. Court Hour podcast. That was a band well worth skipping your college graduation for. That was Hidden in Plain View with Ashes to Ashes. Before that was Hidden in Plain View with 20 Below. Before that, there they were with Garden Statement. And opening up that block of music was Hidden in Plain View with American Classic. And all those come off their classic record, Life and Dreaming, which turns 15 this year, just turned 15 a few weeks before we did this interview. And a very happy anniversary to the album. And I can't thank Joe enough for doing that interview. If you couldn't tell during it, I mean, I love that record. So being able to dissect it like that and really get to talk about it was just absolutely fun. And uh, we're definitely going to have Joe on again. I mean, I am so stoked we get new music. And, uh, I mean, could not be more stoked that he announced it here on the Power Chord Hour. I mean, that that's absolutely amazing as a fan. What, it, what a cool way to find out they're putting out new music on your podcast. That's pretty rad. So uh, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. And uh, we'll definitely have them on again. I'll definitely have Joe on again when the record comes out. And uh, we'll definitely be playing those songs once they come out. So do not worry. 
when it when the EP does come out, you will know about it because I'll tell you all about it on here. And uh, yeah, once again, I mean, thank you so much to Joe for calling in, talking hidden in plain view with us, uh, fifteen years of life and dreaming. And like I said earlier on, you know, in the beginning, it's like I, I hope I hope there's people listening to this who are big Hidden in Plain View fans who like, you know, get something out of it like, oh, you know, like I always wondered this about it or something. You know, hopefully you got some questions answered. But, uh, you know, even on top of that, I would love hit me up powercordhour at gmail.com. If this is like the first time hearing Hidden in Plain View, like let me know if, you know, I, I've like I've converted you into a fan, you know, like that's, that's the stuff I always love to hear about is like, let me know. Cause you know, I, I discovered them, I don't know, six, seven years ago at this point. So it's like, you know, there's still people like hearing them, you know, even though the album's been out for 15 years, I would love to hear if this was your first time hearing them. Cause that would be, that would be absolutely amazing. You know, let's, let's keep, uh, let's keep turning people onto this band, including now they're putting more music out. I mean, I also love that approach. You know, we, we talked about it in there, but I really do appreciate that they don't just go because really the, the truth is if Hidden and Played Mew wanted to, they could just go play a couple shows every year, play the same set list. And, you know, like that would be it. Like, you know, people would people would show up to the shows. You know, people would gladly pay the, the ticket price. But it's like he talked about it. It's like, no, they want to put out new music before they play again. You know, they want to keep going. They don't just want to be a nostalgic act. Uh, you know, a nostalgia act, which I really appreciate because, you know, and, th- and there's nothing even wrong with that. There's certain bands who come back and do that. And, you know, that's that's totally cool. I go see them, too. But the ones I really like and the ones I appreciate are the ones who go, you know, we haven't been a band in seven or eight years. Let's do it again. You know, like, let's let's write new music. You know, let's let's do more than just rely on on our past successes. You know, like, let's keep this going, you know, no matter how they do it, even if it's not full time. It's like the I really do appreciate as a fan that they care enough, you know, they give a shit enough to go, let's put out new music, you know, like, let's make sure we play shows that we want to play them and that we're having fun, you know, not just, hey, the, you know, this festival is offering us this amount of money, like, let's go do it, you know, it's not like that, and I really appreciate hearing that, you know, he sounded, he sounded very sincere talking about that, so, you know, I, I feel like as a fan, I really appreciate that and knowing that about them, but I'm very happy with to this week's episode, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune back in next week. Probably no guests next week, but we will have another one for you very, very soon. I've, uh, I'm talking to a few different people, which I'm very stoked about having on. More people who I go like, just a lot more of, of, of uh, you know, I have a couple guys I'm, I'm hitting up right now, and we're kind of uh, scheduling things. But kind of in the same vein as Joe, where you know, from bands that I've been listening to now for well over a decade. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of surreal to be like, oh, yeah, like they'll come on my show and, you know, we can talk to them, you know, about those records and stuff. So we should have some neat stuff coming up. But check back in next week because either way, guest or no guest, I am here with you with another episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. And also check out the Power Chord Hour radio show that airs every Friday night at 10 Eastern on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. And uh, if you do not live in Jamestown, do not fear. You can listen to that show from anywhere in the world, and I mean anywhere in the world. I no longer produce it, but years ago, and the show is still going on. i just no longer the producer. But uh, the Swedish Hour, which is like the longest-running show on 107.9 WRFA, I remember when I used to produce it years ago, we had listeners in Sweden. So, you know, no matter where you are, there's no excuse. If you want some great punk and alternative every Friday night at 10 Eastern, check us out. And uh, you can do so if you're not in the Jamestown area. We're, you can uh, stream the, the radio station right on the website at wrfalp.com. 
And uh, also, we have an iPhone app. We don't have one for Android yet, but there is an iPhone app that you can listen to the station on. It's not just my show, but you just listen to the station anytime you want uh, from wherever you are. We play some good stuff on there. I mean, not just my show. Like, we... We play stuff you're not going to hear on other stations. So, I mean, if you want to check that out, also check out the WRFA mobile app in the iTunes store. And uh, like I said, WRFALP.com. But check us out every Friday night. It is different from this. I play a lot more music on there. I still uh, talk to you and let you know about what's going on. But that's a lot more music heavy. So uh, I spin you a lot more music on there, talk to you more on here. But check that out and stay connected with the show. We're at Power Chord Hour, no longer Power Chord Radio. We had that handle for a while uh, not even for a while, like four years, so a little longer than a while, almost half a decade, but uh, I finally got our handles to Power Chord Hour, I believe someone, I don't know how it works, someone had them in the beginning, there's a reason why we did Power Chord Radio, but I do realize that that's sometimes confusing to people, because the show's called Power Chord Hour, then you look it up and it was Power Chord Radio, but I fixed all that, we were Power Chord Hour everywhere online, so you can search Power Chord Hour, you'll find us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spotify, And uh, on Spotify, every week I put up playlists of what I play on the radio show so you can see what I play on there. And also do special ones. Like right now I'm doing my favorite songs of the last decade. So we're up to 2018 now. And uh, you can go check those out on our Spotify playlist. All that good stuff and PowerCordHour at gmail.com because I do have some PowerCordHour pins that I want to send out. So hit me up on there. I'll send you some free PowerCordHour pins. One of them is a Cheshire Cat ripoff of the Blink-182 album Cheshire Cat. So, uh, like I always tell people, I mean, I was going to say, if you, even if you don't like the show, but I guess if you're listening to this point, you probably at least, you don't hate the show. Let's say that. Let's agree on that. I won't say we're your favorite show ever, but let's both agree if you're still listening, you at least tolerate the show. So, uh, you know, help, help support us. Some Power Chord Hour pins, um, totally free. Hit me up, PowerCordHour at gmail.com. But uh, that is going to be the podcast for this week. I, I love it. I love having guests on here. Always super happy. So, uh, I mean, I'm doing this just after I interviewed him. I'm recording this. So, I mean, I I just talked to him about an hour or so ago, and I'm still really, really stoked on the interview, you know, right now. When an interview goes well, you feel it the rest of the day. I I don't know if other people get like that. But for me, if an interview goes really well, you're kind of stoked the rest of the day. You're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. You know, so thankfully this was a good one. It went well, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. But until next week and next week's episode for the Power Court Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant, and thanks for listening.